Now, that is a place you do not want to get stuck, right? I don't know about you. I don't want to get stuck in an ATM. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're in this series called Unstuck. Um, next week is our last week. And I don't know if anybody in here has ever been stuck in an ATM. Anybody? No? Okay, that's good. You know, I've never been stuck in an ATM. I hope you never have been or you never will be. But I, I think this, this funny video, it helps us kind of connect with the reality that while most of us have never been stuck in an ATM, a lot of us at some point in our lives have felt stuck in our financial situations. We've stuck, we felt stuck in regards to our finances. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm going through a season of life where I go to the ATM regularly and check my balance or check my balance on my phone to make sure I have enough money in my account for the next set of bills. Because I'm feeling a little tight, I'm feeling a little stuck. These days, I don't know if you've noticed on Facebook, you know, when people are feeling stuck, one of the big things is to have a garage sale, to sell stuff online, maybe start a side business to earn a little extra income so that we don't feel as stuck financially um, as we currently do. And then a lot of us, we, we try to plan, we try to get ahead, we try to be good stewards, and then we have unexpected expenses in our life. Just this week, Emily and I, we had to replace three tires on one of our cars, you know, and you, you try to plan ahead, you try to save, and then you have expenses like that, and it kind of sets you back, and you feel a little behind. I think at some point, all of us have felt stuck in our finances, and the thing is, when we feel stuck in our finances, it's not just about us and, and our money. When we're feeling stuck in our finances, it causes stress. It causes anxiety, and not just inside of us, but in our relationships and in our households and beyond. And it's easy to not think about it, to try to just ignore financial issues, feeling stuck. And as Americans, a lot of times, we don't like to talk about personal finances with other people. We tend to be very private when it comes to our personal finances. A lot of us, we just try to avoid it until we get the bill in the mail or we get the first notice. Second notice, anybody ever got the third notice, you know, then it's like, okay, finally, I have to do something. But this morning, I don't want us to be reactive to financial situations and, and feeling stuck in our finances. I want us to be proactive. And so I want to talk with you this morning about finances. And now, I'm not going to be talking to you about how to budget, how to save money, how to earn more money. We have Financial Peace University classes periodically here at the church that can help you with that. Instead, this morning, I want to talk with you about how even if you feel stuck with regards to your finances, your finances could be the key to helping you become unstuck in your relationship with God. And now I know we have a lot of visitors here, and this might be your first time at the church, and you might be thinking right now, great. Here is a cliche, right? A walking, talking pastor who's talking about finances my very first week here at the church. And so I just want to be up front with you about why I'm talking about finances today here in this church, why I will talk about finances in the future on Sunday morning in sermons, why we will talk about finances in Bible studies. And the reason why this will come up again and again is because as a preacher of God's word, and as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I seek to follow Jesus in my everyday life. I seek to learn from him, to imitate him, and to make his way of life be my way of life. And when you begin to dig down at Jesus' teachings, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to discover something very interesting. 
you begin to discover that Jesus talked about money, giving, and finances more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. You begin to discover that almost one-third of Jesus' parables connect with giving. And in the Gospel of Luke, my favorite gospel, you discover when you read it with your eyes open to it that giving and money and our relationship with money is one of the key themes that Jesus hits on. And so we're going to address it every once in a while here as well. Because here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that our money and how we spend it, how it's tied to our hearts, it has an impact on us in a huge, huge way way. It has an impact on us and on all of our relationships. And so he's constantly giving people warnings about money. He's constantly giving people encouragement about money. Jesus knows something about money and our finances that we don't often acknowledge. And that is that our money and what we do with it has the power to draw us away from God and other people. And our money and our relationship with it also has the power to draw us closer to God and to other people. And so this morning, I want us to look at some of Jesus' teachings on money and on giving. And they come to us in Luke chapter 20 to Luke chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open that up. If you don't have a Bible, um, at our Welcome Center out there, we have some free ones available for you. Just grab one after the service. But here in this scene, I want to set up the context for you. It's, it's Luke chapter 20 to 21. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. And there in kind of this final scenes of his life here on this earth, before he's crucified, before he's resurrected, people are trying to trap him. These, ta- these uh, chief priests, these elders of the law, they're trying to trick him because Jesus' influence is continuing to grow and to continuing to grow, and people are feeling threatened. And so they begin to ask him questions like, Jesus, who should we pay our taxes to? Jesus, by what authority do you teach? Jesus, what about this? What about that? And they keep trying and trying, but they're failing miserably because Jesus is a pretty wise guy. And then in the midst of all of this, people are challenging him. Jesus draws his disciples closer and he shares with them some wisdom. And here's what he says in verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And I want us to stop right there for a moment. Because I don't know about you, but this, this doesn't exactly sound like the meek and mild Jesus that I used to see in pictures growing up. Do y'all know the Jesus? Long brown, flowy hair, blue eyes, petting a baby sheep. You know what I'm talking about, sitting on a rock? This doesn't really sound like that version of Jesus. This is a little harsh, right? It's like, ouch, Jesus. Strong words. And sometimes I think when we get to these words from Jesus that are warnings or words of judgment, we we try to rush past them because they make us a little uncomfortable. 
But instead of rushing past it, I think when we have that, that feeling of like, ah, I don't know about this, this seems like a tough teaching. Instead, I think we need to slow down. We need to try to dig in to see what Jesus is saying. And the important warning that he gives here is this. Beware of the teachers of the law. Now, some of you may be familiar with these characters throughout the Gospels, the teachers of the law. These people had a pretty high status in Israel at the time. They were typically had more money than other people, and they were entrusted with making sure the people of Israel um, lived out God's law. They were, they were entrusted with helping make sure the, the needy and the vulnerable in society were taken care of because that was part of God's law. But here, we see that something interesting is going on, that it's almost like they've neglected that duty. And Jesus is calling them out because he says that in every sphere of their lives, in the marketplace, in the synagogue, when they go out to the banquets, in every sphere of their lives, they're focused on themselves and their status. He says they wear these long flowing robes, you know, which draw attention and let people know who they are. They want to be greeted with words of respect. They want to sit at the best table. They want to be around people like them, influential people who can help them have more power and more influence. And Jesus says that as they do this, he's telling us that they're focused on themselves. And as they're focused on themselves, instead of their hearts turning outward towards God and other people, their hearts are beginning to turn inward, away from God and away from other people. And as these teachers of the law began to focus on themselves and their status in society, you can see how this easily happens. They easily begin to forget the poor. They easily begin to ignore the poor and the widows because if you're trying to attain status, what what can a poor person, what can a widow help you with? And so Jesus eventually says that these men devour widows' houses. I don't know about you, but I never want Jesus to accuse me of devouring a widow's house. That is a tough charge. And scholars debate exactly what this means, devouring widows' houses, but this much is clear. Their selfishness turned their hearts away from God, away from other people, and in the process, people were suffering. They were suffering. And I think this is a good word for us this morning. This is a good word of warning for us. Sometimes word of warnings, they, they help us prevent crashes. They help prevent tragedies. And we live in a culture where a lot of selfishness is celebrated. A lot of times we're, you know, we're, we're in the selfie generation, right? It's all about us all the time. And it's especially about us when it comes to our finances. It's very easy to be selfish when it comes to our money. And our culture judges people typically based on the amount of money they have or the stuff that they have that represents the amount of money they have. And so what often happens subtly is that, that we begin climbing. We begin trying to earn more and more. We begin trying to climb up the corporate ladder, sometimes stepping on other people in the process, sometimes neglecting our families and our friends and our neighbors in the process so that we can get a little more status, so that we can get a little bit higher. Our culture tells us that, that we need to consume more to be happy, to be satisfied, 
to keep up with everyone else. And what we do is we accumulate stuff, we accumulate stuff, we accumulate stuff. And then we discover that really most of it's junk. And a lot of us, we live with the fear on a regular basis of not having enough. Not having enough for retirement, not having enough for our kids, not having enough in life. And and it's tough and it's draining. And so what we do is we, we hide all of our money and we keep it for ourselves and we try to protect it from other people. And here's the thing, we need to be wise, we need to save, we need to be good stewards and all of that. But it's so easy for us to justify spending all of our money on ourselves and saving all of our money for ourselves. But what happens is when we do that, When all of our money is focused on us, our money and resources can't go to other people who are in need. When we're focused on our money and keeping it for ourselves, we begin to believe the lie that it's actually our money. We begin to forget that it's not our money. Every good gift we have in life is a gift from God. It's God's money. It's God's resources that He has entrusted to us, to take care of, to be good stewards of. It's easy to forget those things in our everyday life. And here, Jesus is saying to them, and he is saying to us, if you're going to follow me, you need to leave selfishness behind, especially when it comes to your finances. And as Jesus is giving this word of warning, something interesting happens. He looks up, and there in the area around the temple treasury, he sees a scene going on that helps illustrate how we can begin moving away from selfishness and towards God and other people. And so in Luke chapter 21, the scene continues. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is a scene many of you are familiar with. It's really an amazing scene. As Jesus looks up at the temple treasury and he sees the rich people coming by with their bags of coins, putting their money in the receptacles. And the receptacles at the time, they would have been kind of metal and trumpet-shaped funnels. And so you can just imagine the rich men coming there, dumping their bags of coins in and the sounds that it would have made, right? It would have been really loud. So they're dumping their bags of coins in. And then a widow walks up. Maybe she was walking a little slow. Maybe she didn't have a bag for her coins because she didn't have that many. And she takes out her two copper coins. And she drops them into the receptacle. And they barely made a sound compared to the money that everybody else was putting in. And it's interesting she put in two because she could have kept one for herself, but she put in these two coins, and as she did, Jesus 
tells them, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Which is astounding, right? Because these two copper coins, two lepta is the, is the name of the official coin that she put in there, they were worth one-seventieth of a day's wages. So they're basically worth nothing compared to the gifts that people are putting in. And so you can just imagine the stunned look on the disciples' faces and the confusion as they're thinking, how can two cents be worth more than $1,000? How does this all add up? This doesn't make any sense. And in the midst of this scene, Jesus reveals to them a deep principle about the kingdom of God. He reveals to them that the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. He reveals to them that in the kingdom of God, the heart of giving is the giving of the heart. In the kingdom of God, the heart of giving is the giving of the heart. And this helps explain why a child giving 25 cents, half of their allowance each week, is actually worth more in God's kingdom than a token $25 gift that you or I might put in the offering plate each week. This helps explain why someone who is living at or near the poverty line and who is tithing, their gifts are actually worth more than 1% of the richest person's gifts, if they're putting in 1%. This helps explain why two cents can be worth more than $1,000 in the kingdom of God. One of my friends, Matt Leroy, is a pastor of a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and he had this kingdom principle illustrated for him in a powerful way. And Matt, he pastors a church called Love Chapel Hill, which I attended for a period when I was in seminary. And Love Chapel Hill, their mission is to love Chapel Hill to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. And they're located right there on the main street across from the UNC campus. And so their church, it's an eclectic group of college students who don't have a lot of money, young adults who are living there in downtown Chapel Hill, and a large proportion of their congregation is also people who are experiencing homelessness. And so it's always a fun gathering in their worship time together. And Matt... I'm going to let him share in this video about the experience he had one Sunday when they received their offering. One day at our church, this showed up as part of the offering. Our friend David had been living in the homeless shelter for a couple of months, and he wanted to show his gratitude for God, but he just didn't have anything to give in the offering. So what he did was he started walking up and down this street and he would keep his eyes open for any change he could find on the ground. Whatever it was, he would pick it up, hang on to it, and keep it in this jar. Everybody else was walking past it, paying no attention to it, seeing it as worth nothing. But to him, it was treasure hidden right there in plain sight. And he would hang on to it and collected it and gave it as an offering. I'll never forget it. It hit my heart in such a powerful way because to me, this is generosity. It's not the amount that you're able to give, 
but it's always about the heart behind the giving. This is what Jesus teaches us. It's about the heart behind the giving. See, Jesus highlights the widow because he wants us to see the widow's heart. And he wants our heart to be like hers. He wants our heart to be like Daniel's. And their hearts were full of trust. Trust, that's really what it requires to give God anything we have, especially our finances. It requires trust. Trust that God is going to provide for us. Trust that when we tithe, when we give 10% of our income, which God calls us to in his word, trust that God isn't saying that just so we have less money because he knows that it's good for us in our souls. It requires trust. Trust that God is actually the giver of every good gift in our life. Giving requires trust. But here's the interesting thing about giving. Yes, giving requires a level of trust. But as we give, our trust also grows. As we give to God, even with a little bit of trust in our hearts, our trust grows because as we give to God, we'll discover some amazing things. And now this isn't just preacher talk. We'll have, we'll have stories, and I know people, if you need real life stories of people whose lives have been transformed by giving, come and find me and I'll help you connect with them in this church. As you give, your trust grows. And you'll discover that God is for you, God is with you, that God will provide for you. You will discover that God will bless you in ways that you had never asked for or imagined. And I'm not saying God is going to fill up your bank account or give you some kind of huge level of influx of income or anything, anything prosperity gospel like that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as you give God the things that are closest to your hearts, God will draw your heart closer to his. And you will be blessed by a closer relationship with him. You will be blessed as you come to know him more and more. But you'll not only be blessed as you grow closer to him, you'll also be blessed as you give through institutions like the church. You'll be blessed as you see how your gifts have an impact for the kingdom of God on other people. When you begin to give and you hear stories about how your gifts help lead one of our children in the starting point ministry, when you discover how your giving helped fund their curriculum, how it helped turn on the lights, provide an amazing creative environment for them, and that in that place they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when you hear that, when you hear stories like that, your heart will go towards them and you'll want it to continue. When you give... 
and you hear stories about people who during the holidays were experiencing grief and loss and hopelessness and they came to this church and they came to return to Bethlehem and they came to one of our worship services and they discovered the true hope we have in Jesus Christ, your heart will go towards them and you'll want to see those things increase and you'll want to see them expanded. As you begin to give your money to God, your heart will go closer to God and it will grow towards other people. And so when needs in this community, when crises happen, instead of running away from them like so many people do, you and we as a church will want to run towards them. We'll want to provide for them. We'll want to bless them because we know that God has blessed and provided for us. As you give, your life will be transformed. It's a thing God has designed to help you become unstuck in your relationship with Him. And one of the reasons I know this is because I've experienced it. One of the most selfish seasons of my life was when I was in seminary. Now, I know that might be kind of odd and funny, right? Selfish season of my life was when I was in seminary training to be a pastor. But during that time, I was doing a lot of studying about God and about God's word. I was learning how God wanted us to trust him with everything, how God wanted me to love my neighbors. But, you know, it was easy for me to say, I'm going to love my neighbors and I'm going to love other people when I get out of seminary and I'm in the church. I don't need to do it right now, God. I got a lot on my plate. When I was in seminary, I was really focused on achievement, on, on, on status, on being at the top of the class, of achieving high grades. And I was single at the time too, and so I got to design my own schedule. So I would wake up, I would go to class, I would go to the library, I would go eat in the dining hall, I would go to the gym, I would go back to the library day after day. My life was organized in such a way that I was very focused on myself. I worried a lot about my grades and my future and things like that. And one fall break... I went to a conference, and at that conference, Compassion International, which is a child sponsorship organization, did a presentation on kids who are in need around the world. And I'd heard hundreds of these things before. Every Christian concert, you know, they do this. But here something was different. God was moving in my heart, even during that selfish season, and said, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to giving a child $35 a month. Which may not sound like much, but when you're a student and you don't really have any income, you just have expenses, and I was committing that over and above my regular giving to the church, you know, that was, was kind of adding up. But I said, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. And so I chose a kid to sponsor named Reuben. And Reuben, I chose him because he had the same birthday as me, March 25th. And so at first I was really excited. I would write him letters regularly. If you've been a part of one of these sponsorship programs, you know how they work. I'd write him letters and he would write me back and it was fun. And then I got busy. I got focused on myself so I didn't write him as often. And then one day I've been, I've been in the library studying. I was tired. I came back to my house. Usually I'm kind of a night owl, so... I came back in my house about 1 a.m. after being in the library, checked my mail, was just looking at stuff, and I found that I had a letter from him. And in that letter, 
He told me that recently through the Compassion Center that my money helped sponsor and fund, that through their teaching and the relationships there, he came to know Jesus Christ and he had trusted him for salvation. And in the midst of this season of being so focused on myself, I wept with that letter in my hands. I wept tears of joy that God was transforming this kid's life, that God was moving him in a new direction and that things would never be the same. And so I wept tears of joy for this kid. But I also wept tears of repentance for my selfishness, for the ways I hadn't written to him, for the ways I had ignored all these people around me because I was so focused on myself and my status and achievement. In that moment, I also wept tears of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God that God loved me despite my selfishness. Tears of thanksgiving that God could take that small, sacrificial gift of $35 and use it to transform this kid and his future. And that night, my trust in God grew. As I learned once again in a small way that I can trust God with my money, I can trust God with my future, I can trust God with all that I have and all that I am. So this morning, I simply want to ask you, are you feeling stuck in your relationship with God? You might want to try giving freely, giving sacrificially. You feeling like you've been focused on yourself lately? You might try moving beyond yourself with your life and with your resources. Because after all, where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Let's pray. God, you've given us so many gifts. God, you've given us the gift of this church. For many of us, you've given us the gift of families. God, you've given us all of the financial gifts in our lives. Even if we feel stuck right now, God, we recognize that everything we have in our lives is a gift from you. And God, we ask that this morning, but not just this morning, this season in our lives, that you would help us to begin moving beyond ourselves. God, that you would help us begin giving freely with our finances. We ask that you would help us begin giving freely with our time. We ask that you would help us begin giving freely with our gifts so that you can use them for good in this world. God, we trust you, and we trust you at all different levels this morning. God, we pray that you would take the small amount of trust we have and that as we give our gifts to you, that you would help grow it. You would help grow us closer to you. 
and you would help grow us closer to one another. And so God, as we receive this morning's tithes and offerings today, but not just today, every Sunday, we ask that you would receive them, that you would multiply them, God, and that you would bless people through them. God, we have been blessed to be a blessing, and so we pray that you would do that work through us now, and that you would guide us closer to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.